I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome to the Movie Jewel Podcast. My name is Peter and I am your host. Ordinarily on the Movie Jewel Podcast, myself and one of my co-hosts pick a subject that's based around films and then we each pick a movie that we think best fits that subject. However, this is one of our bonus quick draw episodes in which we invite a special guest to talk about the Movie Jewels of past and discuss what they would have picked for some of the subjects that we've discussed on the podcast already. This time around, I'm joined by Ben Murray from uh, Film Busters. Uh, you'll be able to check out uh, some of the links to the Film Busters podcast uh, in the show notes for this episode. So please do check those out. Uh, just a few quick notices for this episode as well. Uh, our next episode um, will be reverting to our usual format of uh, movie jewel episodes. The first of which, uh, Jamie Russell, will be joining me to discuss the most overrated gangster film ever made and will be landing in the near future. And just to let you know how you can get in contact with us here at the Movie Jewel Podcast, uh, you can do so by uh, following us on social medias, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, just search for the Movie Jewel Podcast uh, and on X and on Threads you will find us at Movie Jewel Pod. You can also contact us via email moviejewelpodcast at gmail.com So if you're interested in giving us suggestions, feedback, if you're interested in maybe coming on one of our quick draw episodes, uh, just get in touch uh, through one of those methods. And then finally, just a note about this episode, uh, there will be minor spoilers and there is strong language also. Uh, So without further ado, let's head on over to Quick Draw with Ben from Film Busters. I want to ask you a bunch of questions and I want to have them answered immediately. So my guest at this time is a podcaster, movie lover, beer lover, music lover, cat dad, ukulele player, and film snob. It's Ben from Filmbusters. Ben, how are you? Very happy to be here, Pete. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I, I did nick your uh, profile off Twitter there just for your introduction. I didn't, re- I didn't realise that's what you were doing at first, and I thought, <laughs> God, the guy really knows me. <laughs> but he went in for beer lover straight away. He really knows me, either that or... I have a problem, but I'm I'm very happy to be here, Pete. Thanks a lot for inviting me on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, Ben. Um, so do you want to start off just by by telling the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about um, Film Busters? I will indeed. So hello, listeners. I'm Ben from Film Busters. Film Busters is a, a trio of friends uh, who have been busting films since 2017, end of 2017. Uh, that's... Uh, Myself, my co-host Paul and Adam, and um, we just take movies to town. We don't really do themes. We uh, just pick a a year, and then we do three or four films from that year over three or four films, uh, three or three or four episodes, and just uh, come in with our hot takes on it. I suppose you might say, um, and uh, we love it. We I, I think a lot of mutual listeners 
we have Pete. So mm-hmm. many people who listen to us will have come to you and, and, and hopefully many who've listened to you will have come, come our way as well. Um, the British film podcast pool is not super strong, but mm. those who are in it are, are impeccable. Oh, it's, a, it's definitely a great community. Um, I mean, you know, just I got put onto you by the one Jamie Russell, um, who'd obviously yes. guested on on, uh, on your podcast a, a couple of times before he, he joined the Movie Jewel family. Um, and, you know, and he put me onto a lot of, you know, Movie Drone and a lot of great British podcasts about movies. Um, yeah. One being Film Busters. And uh, obviously, likewise, when we uh, heard that Jamie was going to be on your pod, and we listened in because it's the truth. We hadn't crossed paths up until that point. I don't mm-hmm. think until Jamie had guested, um, and then found you. And it's like I, I, I think I said it in a comment on on Twitter, but it's true. You, um, I know this is meant to be the part where I talk about film busters, but but give me a moment to to say that like you were genuinely a, a fantastic discovery in in twenty three because I'd I'd had the same old podcasts who I love, but I, I nobody had broken the ranks for several years. I'd had, you know, oh, movie wow. drone with the last ones to break the ranks. That was about four years ago, three, four years ago. And um, now I have you in constant rotation. It, it's, <laughs> it, 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 you've got such a soothing way about you, Pete. I know that no, the boys over at movie drone talk about your voice <laughs> as well, but that it's not just the voice. You, 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 you're very cool headed when talking about film and that's appreciated rather than an, uh, uh, overdrive music video <laughs> video game podcast aesthetic so well bless you thank you very much for saying that that's uh and, and likewise film busters you know you, you, you guys are regularly on my rotation now and uh look forward to to what's coming next um i think you guys yeah. have taken a bit of a break over christmas haven't you and we have and um we're our first episode of 24 is going to be, um, I know you've just done one. We're doing the same, uh, dropping our, our highlights of 2023. We record that tomorrow. So that will, that will drop in the next few, few days. And then I hope to give you all one a listen in the next couple of days too. So scrubbing out 23 and onto 24 and all the film goodness. Yeah, that it it's not holds. been great, has it really? 23, I don't think. I mean, very average. It has. There's been a, a, f- a few good films in there, but I think, I hate to say it, but, my favourite film of the year, which I guess I can reveal because it will come out after our episode does. My favourite film released in 2023 was John Wick Chapter 4. And I think, oh, I've wow. got to say, I mean, it was a good film, but if that was the best the year could offer, that's saying something for the year. Wow. Um, so, I must yeah. admit, I've not watched any of the John Wicks. I need to get off, uh, get off the saddle on that and, and start watching. Them. It's it's great not to be on the bandwagon. Stay off it. <laughs> There's no need. Don't give into that nonsense peer pressure. You don't need to bring John Wick into your life. No, I have much more of a habit of watching films that I know are going to be shit. Basically, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normally, because half of them have been uh, recommended by us to go and check out. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Um, obviously, this is one of our quick draw episodes, Ben. So um, we've invited you on to um, discuss some of the movie jewels of the past and uh, and get your sort of take on on what you may have picked, what you thought of our choices. And so, are you ready? I am ready. I have my selection in front okay. of me. So we're going to go way, way back to the start, episode one, 
um, in which myself and original co-host Liam discussed our choices for the most underrated sequel ever made. Uh, with my choice of Predator 2 from 1990 and Liam's choice of Gremlins 2, also from 1990. Uh, but what say you, Ben? Two good choices that you both had. Um, if I was going to pick, if I was going to agree with with uh, one of you, I would probably go with Predator Two. But I haven't seen either in such a long time. It is very, very hard to to judge. But I am since my actual pick was mm. already stolen from underneath me by uh, Lexi when she guessed, guessed it with you. Oh right, okay. Ghostbusters Two. Ghostbusters Two. I watched it again. Only well, New Year's Eve. I watched it. it New Year's Eve film. It's a New Year's film. It's yeah. a New Year's film. Absolutely. Um, so I can't pick that. So I'm yeah. going with something which I hope you will allow. If, okay. it, if it fits your criteria, it is a sequel, but it's a sequel within an existing long running franchise. And it's the second in the newer installments. Yeah. So this will make sense. Hopefully this makes sense when I say that my the most underrated sequel, hands down, definitely, certainly of the 21st century is Halloween Kills. Wow. OK. OK. And I will go to bat for that film. Hell and leather. <laughs> Uh, because remind me, Pete, are you are you a are you a Halloween purist? Have you seen all the Halloween films? I mind? have seen all the Halloween films. I'm not. Do you know what the Halloween franchise is not? I, I wouldn't put it in my favourite sort of horror franchises. I do like a lot of the films, and I respect obviously the you know the road that the original paved um, for cinema. Um, but I don't find myself revisiting them a lot. Um, yeah. Not as much as something like Friday the Thirteenth, which is 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 my sort of slasher genre, genre slasher franchise. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I would say I'm a fan though. Still, everyone has everyone has their own franchises, right? And uh, Halloween was absolutely mine. I was watching it way way too young growing up, um, and I just had all the VHSs, and they were constantly on rotation. But the thing is, I feel because I lived through. And watched so many of these awful Halloweens. Like Halloween Five is dreadful. It's a dreadful piece of work. Yeah. However, I, I was watching it all the time. Loomis was in it. It had its charm. There were these moments. There were these things that gripped me. So I think when you've been sort of almost brainwashed by some of those films to the point <laughs> where you will defend them, how yeah. can something like Halloween Kills come under such scrutiny? It's like it can't. Halloween Kills was. <laughs> different it was a different michael and and i i do think it is better than the than the 2018 halloween because okay. the 2018 halloween sort of played it safe it was like okay it's great to see michael again but this new laurie as a sort of warrior soldier i, I didn't like it. it was like the sarah connorification yeah. of her and michael felt a little okay great i loved i loved seeing him coming Ooh. out of the asylum and as an old man great a bit of humanity in there but the brutality of Halloween Kills was terrifying. It made him scary again. And the ending, I thought, was super ballsy. Uh, it's Ooh. really rare for a, horror, uh, for a horror film to do what it did. I don't want to give any spoilers uh, away, but, but for the, the, the reveal at the end, I think would have taken ev anyone back. And I think it mm. took a, a lot of people back for the wrong reasons for them because they were like, "That was wh why'd you do that? That, that undid yeah. a bunch of stuff that you did. But for me, it just got me so hyped up and excited for the franchise again for the first time in a very, very long time. And, you know, even Evil Dies Tonight, 
that it's a punchline and i know that it's a punchline but i love that it's now part of the halloween canon i think it's it's amazing it's relevant again people talk about halloween again because yeah. because of that film and i don't think it's because of 2018 no i don't think oh yeah i didn't i can't sit and say that i hated halloween kills because i didn't because i thought it, it had a very interesting concept to it and i don't but i don't think the same way that halloween ends had a great concept to it and i just mm. don't think it was <laughs> properly sort of executed by david gordon green and you know and he would, would even say that the exorcist believer had a really interesting concept to it but mm. it, it just completely whiffed it um and uh, you know kills i think is is definitely worth a watch but i wouldn't say that it excited me in any way yeah i i reckon pete if david gordon green had taken on a new trilogy of friday films you as you as someone who who probably gets a kick out of Jason and just seeing Jason doing his thing. Even though you're not gelling with David <laughs> Gordon Green, I reckon you would like a Friday the 13th David Gordon Green trilogy because you know he would do something different, a little different, but also at the same time true to Jason. Possibly, possibly. But I mean, I, do you know what? I hated the Friday the 13th remake. Um, oh, it's appalling. And and really, does it really go much you know, any in any different direction to the original sort of set of films, it, it it doesn't. It just condenses it all into one film, really. Yeah. But it was just sort of. It felt like a Rob Zombie film. I, sort of very mean spirited and. Yes, it did. Trashy, trashy is the word. It's interesting you say that because one of my second choices for most underrated sequels was going to be Devil's Rejects. By Rob Zombie. However, I don't think that. it's I underrated. Thought, for a second there, I thought you were going to say Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie. Oh, no, no, no. It's like, <laughs> stop, stop this recording. <laughs> yeah, I would not. I could not in good conscience defend that one. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. Halloween kills. I'm off to a bad start, Pete, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we're moving on to episode three, still with Liam, um, which we talked the most overrated Best Picture winner, um, Liam's choice of Titanic 1997 and my choice of Braveheart uh, from 1995. What about you? What do you think? So out of the two of them, I would agree uh, with you again because I yeah. think Titanic still has a little little merit, even though it's not for me, but uh, I think it has it te technical merit. It's still Cameron doing something epic and immense. But mine is going all the way back to 2006, I believe, maybe 2005. Okay. And... See if you know what it is, Pete. It beats, and this is also what makes me bad. This is why it really makes me mad. It beat Brokeback Mountain for Best Picture that year at the Academy Awards. It also beat, these films are not all that significant, but it beat um, Good Night and Good Luck. And it beat Munich, Steven Spielberg's Munich. I can't remember what the other one is. God, no, you totally lost me. It's not The Pianist, is it? Did no. The Pianist win? <sighs> if i think the pianist one no well this is crash paul haggis's oh crash. God, yeah yeah i don't know how you feel about this film but i've seen it once in the cinema when it came out and it's one of the great cinematic ordeals of my lifetime because there was nowhere to run and i have only myself to blame that i didn't just run yeah um i think the problem is First of all, 
at the time, I was a big Due South fan. Do you remember Due South? I do, yes. The uh, the, the Canadian Mountie. You got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Deacon hey. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what a beautiful dog. Um, and Paul Haggis, the creator of that, he directed it. Oh, right. Okay. I was like, okay, let's go and check out this guy's film. And I think it is such a clumsy attempt at trying to say something yeah. profound about racism and the clumsiest thing of all is it's a white man that is telling that story and is putting all these words in all these characters mouths and there's just this tone deaf tone deaf you have um matt dylan's police officer uh, who he sort of he sexually assaults a black woman during a stop and search if memory if if i recall correctly and then later in the film they try and say, oh, but he has levels because, look, he's helping her after the car crash. It's like, <laughs> fuck, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're, you're humanizing someone who is doing something monstrous. And the whole film was so cat candid. Like, yeah, Ludacris is just constantly offensive to o- uh, other uh, minorities throughout the film with no comeuppance. And it's like, <laughs> I can imagine Paul Haggis going, oh, it's OK. If we get Ludacris to say it, then it will sort of be funny. It's like, but what are you trying to do? Are you telling this great, profound piece on racism or are you just jamming in all these pieces of a jigsaw that don't match up? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I I, I remember watching it. I don't don't think I went to see it at the cinema, but I remember watching it not long after it sort of got released on DVD or whatever it was at the time. And yeah, it was just, it just didn't do anything. It was just, it was just a film, you know, like you say, I think it just, it tried to deal with a, you know, a tough subject and just completely, it, it just didn't address it other than, Mm-mm. you know, it just missed the stylizing mark. it, I suppose, really is, is, is probably. Exactly. And if you, I don't know if you, if you can remember the trailers for it was Don Cheadle's narration. And yeah. even when you look back on it, the narration was so cocky as well. It was like <laughs> people just crash into each other, you know, and it's like, what are you talking about? That Stop trying to make it out like you're a poet. This is mm-hmm. written by the, the writer of Jew South. The, the writer of Jew South cannot tell this profound 21st century tale on racism no. in America. Yeah, and and the fact that it won Best Picture, this is what kills me, Pete. I didn't realise, really realise it won Best Picture until I was preparing for this. <laughs> and and I was looking, okay, let me look at the Best Picture winners. To so see that that beat out, Brokeback Mountain is criminal. And I don't even think Brokeback Mountain is an amazing film, but it's so much better than this. Yeah, I think. I, do you know what? I think that's probably why it sort of went under my radar because obviously I did the research before we did the episode. Yeah, and I don't think there was anything there was there wasn't anything I could put my finger on that year and go, well, that was better. Mm. Um, and I think obviously Braveheart stood out a lot more. Yeah, um, against films like the usual usual suspects and seven things like that that weren't even true yeah. nominated truly criminal <laughs> truly truly criminal um oh. but yeah I, let paul haggis never make a film again i say no 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 definitely not okay so moving on to episode five this is the first time that uh nicole davis joined me um for worst video game adaptation and we talked about super mario brothers from 1993 um, which was my choice, and Blood Rain from 2004, which was Nicole's choice. Yeah, so you're very wrong on that Super Mario Brothers take, Pete, I've got to tell you. Very wrong. 
<laughs> that is so much fun. Uh, <laughs> but I haven't seen Blood Rain. So unless Blood Rain's a masterpiece, I think I would be starting with Nicole there. Um, but my worst video game adaptation, and it's part of Film Buster's law and canon. It's one of our earliest episodes. We did it. It was uh, the the recent Tomb Raider uh, adaptation. Oh, right. I've not seen that. Yes. Okay. So you've played Tomb Raider before, have you? Mm-hmm. I, I'm an OG Tomb Raider. Okay, you locked the butler in the freezer and all that stuff in the I, training I, levels. When when Tomb Raider two came out, I broke my ankle. I was off school for um, close to three months, I think it was, and I played and played and played Tomb Raider two. So wow. I did everything that you could do. God, what a life! Amazing. <laughs> I I did just see the other day that uh, Tomb Raider one, two, and three have been repackaged for the PlayStation for like ten pounds. I thought, oh, wow, what? I'm going to have to do oh. that. I'm going to have to do that. I need to um, get a PlayStation. <laughs> Oh, mate, but the point is, if you played the game, you've watched the film, and the reason it's bad is because it is like watching someone play the game. Oh. It doesn't do anything new. It's like okay, here is the film opens up with with um, Lara Croft. I think I think the actress' name is Alicia Vikander. I think that's uh, who plays her, and it starts off with her on like a a bike with a fox tail hovering off the back of it and she's cycling through all these streets and all these other people on bikes trying to catch up with her. And you're like, this is a tutorial. This is the tutorial (laughs) level of the game immediately at the beginning of the film. And everything that happens after that is like a new section of a video game. It's like, that's fine if you're controlling it because then the fun is you're making, making her jump and fire here and this, that, but when someone else is doing it and it's not engaging, Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, God, I'm just over at a mate's house and he's playing PlayStation oh, and he's care? forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a couple of nice shots in it, but not not many. And Dominic West is awful as, as her dad in it. And it's mm. just really, really soulless. It's really soulless. And I've not seen the Angelina Jolie ones. Right. So I can't say if if this one is better or worse or on the same level. I think I think that they were okay films, the Angelina Jolie ones. I mean, I've only seen the first one, but yeah, I've seen bits of the second one. But that you know, that at least had kind of you know, it had this sort of Indiana Jonesy type twist to it, that and and then sort of you know melded the the Tomb Raider lore around it, kind of thing. Yeah, so it, it kind of worked in that way. They're not great films, you know. They're not. No, but and that's also because like they don't. I mean, whoever thought that you could adapt Super Mario Brothers either, though. But (laughs) they're they're not the kind of games that work for a a movie adaptation. I think they exist to immerse yourselves in, and that's where the distinction should be between, uh, particularly now, video games now are so movie like. Yeah, like Uncharted. For God's sake, you play Uncharted, and it's like you're controlling a movie. But then I don't want to then see that on a big screen where I can't control it because because then it's, well, this is not fun. I'm just yeah. seeing action sequences that aren't particularly well executed because mm-hmm. they're not directed by action directors for one thing as well. They're just people who've gotten the, the right connections that have told them they can adapt a video game. Um, but yeah, why would I want to watch the movie when I can literally play it, you know? 
exactly exactly okay so to moving on to another nicole episode so this was called uh failed nostalgia or films we used to love but not anymore uh, so nicole's choice of face off from 1997 uh my choice of batman forever from 1995 I know, I know your your filmbuster cohort would probably kill me for this episode, but <laughs> yeah, he would. He absolutely would. <laughs> but what uh, about you? What do you say? So, uh, Face Off, I, I love, and that holds up. In fact, when I rewatched that recently, it went up to like a ten out of ten film. But um, you know, Batman Forever, I never liked it because I was a Keaton Batman guy, so I was never hot on that anyway. Much to my co-host Paul chagrin, yeah, because he absolutely loves it. Absolutely <laughs> loves that one. But mine is, and this is topical, or it would have been topical a week or two ago, uh, is a film, Christmas film, that I went and saw at the cinema when I was young with my uncle and thought, oh, so fun, starring my favourite action hero, Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) And then I watched it last Christmas, and it, oh, no, it's Jingle All The Way. Wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So where do you stand on that? It is a much-loved film. I mean, I did, I think... I mean, what was that, 95? Was it 95? 95, yeah. 95. I think I was, so 95, I would have been about 12. Um, So I think I was just sort of coming away from that sort of goofy sort of comedy style of film and and really sort of enjoying them. So I think it was probably just out of my nostalgia wave, I suppose. Right. Um, So it was never a film that I really loved. I've, I've watched it in the last few years with my daughter, but... It was never one that I was really high on. Well, I see, I I think because I had just not seen it since those cinematic days, for me, it was a chance to see Arnie in a cinema, which at at that age, I was 10 maybe. uh, I was not getting the chance to see Arnie films in the cinema. I was seeing them at home and I shouldn't have been, but going to the cinema, it's like, wow, there he is, incredible. But then to watch him at home, it's like, it's the worst of several things because it's forced Arnie humour like put the cookie down and stuff like that. Okay. That's a kind of funny line, but they try and jam in all these funny lines and that, you know, the best, the funniest Arnie lines are when he does, he's not trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. That's what is so, or anything from kindergarten cop. Cause that's just handled so, so well. Yeah. Um, but it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. <laughs> um, that's such a good film. That is, uh, I know. You didn't bring your uh, kindergarten cop soundboard with you, did you? Oh well, he might he <laughs> might make an appearance to chastise me for for bringing this up, but it's also Simbad. I I don't think he really transferred over to the UK as a big name, but no, Simbad's. I don't know what his significance is in the US. I don't know if he's a stand up comedian or some uh, edgy. Mm comedic actor but he's so grating in it and he's he's on screen almost as much as arnie is yeah and it's really really painful to listen to on top of which the set pieces are all ridiculous they're not that funny <laughs> all the way through uh and it was a massive massive letdown and mm. the most ridiculous thing is at the end his son doesn't know that he's turbo man until he lifts the helmet off even though the helmet's only covering like <laughs> a, a fifth of his face Bat- batman logic it is Batman logic, um, and I'm so I'm sorry to do that to Arnie, but you know that's uh... no, I'd, I'd 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 take that. I think yeah, I don't think it's as good as everybody makes. I think it's definitely a it ain't a nostalgia film that one. 
Yeah. Okay, so moving up to episode 11. So I was joined by Tarquin uh, to talk Best Outlaw Biker Movie uh, with my choice of Mad Max from 1979 and Tarquin's choice of Psychomania, a.k.a. The Death Wheelers, uh, from 1973. Now, first of all, have you seen Psychomania? I have not seen Psychomania. You need to watch Psychomania. It's great. Okay. Not only that, <laughs> I need to watch more biker movies because, <laughs> because this was such a tricky question. Yeah. I was really like having to rack my brain for, for biker movies and, and the criteria. Now, see, I've seen Mad Max, but it was a long, long time ago. I don't feel fully qualified to say whether I, I even enjoyed it or not because it was such a long time ago. Um, and the reality is a, a biker gang movie. I cannot even think of one that I've seen. However, <laughs> I think that this, this one might just slip in because of how ballsy, um, it is as a movie. Okay. So since you clearly like them enough for it to be a topic on the episode, I suggest that you check out a film called Nightmare beach now beach okay nightmare beach is a slasher film low to no budget i believe it came out early 80s and our killer is a (laughs) is a motorcyclist whose identity you don't know he's always in the leathers he's always got the helmet on he rides this huge harley davidson around and the harley davidson is equipped with an electric chair on it. And he rides, he right. He both rides the electric chair and kills people by putting them on the electric chair of his motorcycle. Now it is so insane and crazy. Like it's not a good film. Let's get, make that clear. However, it has to be seen to be believed and on some primal level enjoyed because a Harley Davidson with an electric chair strapped to it, terrorizing people and i think it's like miami it certainly feels like beach florida all at night is is joyful stuff but i know it's not a motorcycle gang so i feel like i let you down with that that one's fun is it i mean it was a tough one i mean i i uh for a long time uh my choice was um police academy because of the 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 guys in the blue oyster bar that was the closest i could think but then the sort of Mad Max has got a bike and that's great. But I mean, yeah, say, yeah. Uh, if you, it, it sounds like if you enjoyed that film that you described, uh, Nightmare Beach, yeah, then you probably enjoy Psychomania because that is it, it's, it's a very on... schlocky sort of British, you know, the most of the bike gang are sort of middle class. Um, and I mean, it's just got a, an insane premise to it. But I would thoroughly recommend it because it's probably the biggest sort of find in doing this podcast. It's Psychomania. Incredible. Okay, that's a watch list, sir. <laughs> Psychomania. Do you know, for honorary mention, I know I'm being cheeky mm-hmm. by squeezing this in, but just because it's one scene, and I guess it's a motorcycle gang, mm-hmm. is a scene in a Bronx tale where, have you seen a Bronx tale? It's like, uh, it's Robert De Niro's, he directed it. It's about a kid. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Growing up with all the mafia around him. And there's a yeah. scene where the biker gang come into the diner uh, and they're just behaving appallingly. And then Sunday, <laughs> played by Chaz Palmonteri, brings the mafia in, closes the door, and then he says, now you can't leave. And just <laughs> beats the shit out of all of them. That, yeah. I probably should have thought of that. 
<laughs> but Nightmare Beach deserves its shout out. And you, you can find Psychomania is on. There's a, a free video app you can download called Plex. Or is it Flex? Plex. 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 Um, and it's on there. So you've got no excuse not to watch. Psychomania, I promise. <laughs> Great call. Let me know what you think. I will. Okay. Um, so what we'll do at this point, Ben, is we'll just take a, a short break and we'll be back in a moment. Okay, so welcome to the intermission. So this is the part of the episode in which I ask my guest a random question, a question they've not prepared for, and get their honest first answer. So, Ben, are you ready? No, I don't know. It's a bit intimidating. (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) Okay, so here is your intermission question. So what scene from a film always makes you emotional? Are you a big crier? Do you cry a lot of films? Increasingly. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Um, I, I think it's age. I think. I think so. I okay. I'm going to give you this one because it's the first one that came to mind. Even though there are quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. I won't go into detail about the scene for those who haven't seen it. But it's Marley and me. Okay. Have you seen? Every, it? Everybody must know. Surely. Surely. Well, I think if you don't know, you can probably imagine what happens. Yeah. But there's something about Owen Wilson's who annoys me most of the time, but there's something about Owen Wilson's softness when he's just saying, you know, you are a great dog. You're an amazing dog. Mm. And it's so manipulative. The whole filmmaking is so manipulative, but so what? It's telling a story. That's what films (laughs) are meant to do. It does manipulate you. The closing of the, the dog's eye, the paw in the human's hand, that's all, so the first time I watched that, I was watching it with my with my then girlfriend and actually my granddad. We, we bizarrely right. were watching it on Sky, and while that scene was happening, I had to leave the room because I thought I'm gonna blub like loudly <laughs> sob, and this is going. This is not. I didn't do that at the time. <laughs> And I left the room, and when I came back in, my granddad was crying. So it's like, oh man, just let's just be emotional with film. It's an mm. okay thing. Yeah. Um, what about you? The one that that sort of always always gets me is Coco. Now, okay, I haven't seen it, right. and I really do need to because Paul always tells me it's a <laughs> tearjerker. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a point at, 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 towards the end of the film. There's a couple of points in it. I mean, it's it's one of those really good Pixar films that really they get it right. It gets yeah. It's like they get it absolutely right. You know, it's not it's not just completely schmaltzy or anything like that. It's it's deals with something very real, and mm. the, the final sort of five minutes of the film is just it's just challenge anybody not to to get a tear it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant i think this is why i've held off because i know i will cry (laughs) at that but it's a good it's a good the thing is with it as well is it's a it's a good cry because it's quite a it's it's a very positive emotional um yeah i get ending and it but it just pulled it's just it's just amazing i love that film so much do you know pixar are the kings at doing that or have been yeah. for a long time 
Yeah. They really, really work their emotional endings well. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at something like, right, so Toy Story 3. Have you seen Toy Story 3? I have indeed, yes. So now I remember with my girlfriend at the time, we went to see it. I think we took her, her nephew to, to go and see it at the cinema. And obviously we'd heard that it's a very emotional ending. It's very sad at the end. Now, the point where they're all geared up to, to go into the furnace and they'll oh. reach out and hold hands and stuff. Amazing. My my ex, my, my partner at the time, she genuinely thought that they would, or <laughs> that was the point that it was going to be sad and they were all going to go into the furnace. I'm like, yeah, Disney is not that cruel. Not no. certainly not in 2004 <laughs> or whenever it was. Um, <laughs> but even at that point, you it draw it's drawn you in that much that you think, fuck, are they going to put them in the fight? You know, are they going to burn up the Toy Story characters? Ex- exactly, and that is that is credit to the film where objectively you know that can't be the end, but mm-hmm. they've made you believe in that moment that maybe it could be. It worked it so well. I watched that on a plane on my way to Canada for the first time, and as I was watching that, I turned to my my girlfriend and i pointed at the at the screen like they are about to kill these toys <laughs> how can they yeah, do this that's it you believe it in that moment you believe it and that's just classic filmmaking really oh man pixar one last <laughs> shout out to pixar as well boxing day 2020 first year of, of covid they dropped soul on one of the streaming platforms can't remember which watch soul and I can't even tell you what the emotional moment was, but something happened at the end of it and I burst out in tears. I was in my dressing gown, boxing day, getting up. It must have been the emotion <laughs> of the season, too many drinks and food the day before or something. And I just was blubbing away at it. And it was an embarrassing one because it was like heaving sobs. That's just Pixar. It's beautiful. I encourage more crying at films. I think it's great. I love it. I love to have a cry at you film. You see, that, I had that with uh, just last year with uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, really? I, I broke absolutely broke down at that film. Wow. Absolutely broke down. And I was, to the point I could hardly breathe. Excellent. I'm so I glad just, that you had that experience, though. It was just absolutely insane. And I was only sat in my bed watching it as well. <laughs> I think. Don't you think just, that must be the greatest compliment a filmmaker could receive, is to yeah. hear that they, they elicited a reaction, an emotional reaction like that. That's really tangible. Absolutely. I mean, I think it was, the, it's the point, i tell you where it is, it's the point, just sorry to spoil it for anybody, but I'm going to say anyway. Um, <laughs> it's the point where uh, Keihu Kwan's character says that, you know, he how he, how he fights, you know, how he, how he moves on, moves forward by being kind and, and all that thing. And I've always considered myself somebody who, who, who tries to be positive and tries to push through and everything else. And just yeah. to see that sort of, especially in a relationship as well, and how he sort of views his marriage and just pushing on and being positive yeah. and everything else. It just, it just got me so bad. Oh, well, not bad, but good. That That's nice. And, and again, that's, crying for the right reasons as well yeah. as you say because of because of a, a good cry as opposed to a bad cry which going full circle marley and me i guess that's where it gets criticized is because okay you killed the dog of course that's going to make people cry whereas these other things yeah. are kind of like well you have to you have to earn that as opposed to just having a, a cute dog that dies you have to earn the emotional moments yeah it's 
kind of an easy emotional moment, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, that's your intermission question then, Ben. Thank you very much. Oh, we'll, loved uh, it. Nice question. We'll head back to the main discussion. Good stuff. Okay, so we're heading on up to episode 12, which was my first with uh, Jamie Russell, um, in which we talked about our choices for best Bond film. Uh, Spy Love Me from 1977, which was uh, Jamie's choice, and GoldenEye from 1995, which was my choice. Uh, so, first of all, are you, are you a Bond fan? Do you like the Bond films? I am not. <laughs> I am not a Bond fan in the okay. classic sense. So okay. I don't think I've seen Goldeneye. And that's the bigger one, but okay. I, I don't think I've seen it. I couldn't tell you which ones I have seen because when I did see them, they were always sort of like in fits and starts on, on telly. Other folks were watching them, you know, mm-hmm. parents had them on or something like that. Bank holidays. Exactly. <laughs> I think the only there's only two pre-Daniel Craig that I'd seen, and it was uh, the one with Pierce Brosnan and Halle Berry, that one. Oh, God, yeah. Dying of a day. Correct. That's it. And obviously Goldfinger because I had an N64 growing up and I needed context <laughs> for the game. Um, so I couldn't tell you which of your two Bond films, which which one I would, <laughs> would agree with. Fair enough. But perhaps unsurprisingly then, my <laughs> favourite Bond film, and it's a 10 out of 10, I love it, so I, I do love a Bond film, is mm-hmm. Casino Royale. Okay, yeah. Bursting Daniel Craig onto the scene, it, it kind of came at the same time, felt like the same time at least as... Um, when um, Bale resurrected Batman with uh, Batman Begins. Yeah. And it was this sort of, okay, these characters we thought we knew, we, which were a bit cartoony. I know in the case of, of, of Batman, obviously he, he's from a graphic novel, but um, the idea of these characters being, you know, silly, unrealistic, they don't, they couldn't really exist. And yeah. then something like Casino Royale coming around and it's like, okay, we are seeing a man here who has been trained to be this person and we see a human side of him. And I think that's why I never liked the Bond films beforehand is because my understanding maybe wrongly, but it was always that look how suave this guy is. He's a ladies man. He's so <laughs> cool. He can do everything. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Those characters. I don't like the cool characters who can do no wrong. I like, I, I like a bit of humanity in them. Yeah. And seeing Daniel Craig in this and seeing him vulnerable, seeing him bleed, seeing him <laughs> betrayed, if you want, by a woman, seeing seeing like the genesis of his issues with women, which is what I thought at that time. is like, okay, this is why he always sleeps around and, and is cheating on these women and, and just yeah. working through these women because we see what Vesper did, did to him um, or what he thinks Vesper did to him. Coupled with Mads Mikkelsen's villain. Oh, my <laughs> God. Le Chifre, Jesus what a performance um and the action piece set pieces it, it, it's it's a perfect action film or certainly was for that time i think we've stepped it up again in the in the uh subsequent 20 years but that as an as an action film but also as a bond film mm. ne- beat everything before and they've never managed to surpass it for for my money. I know there's lots of fans of Skyfall and subsequent ones, but yeah, I mean, I always found, I, 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 I quite liked Casino Royale. The ending was a little bit off for me, but I, you know, I would consider myself a bit of a Bond purist in whatever sense I, 
I mean, as I've got older, I, I, you know, when I revisit a lot of the Bond films, I'm, I'm a bit like, mm, yeah, no, I, I can sort of see where the criticism comes uh, for a lot of the classic Bonds. But I always found after Casino Royale, I mean, Skyfall was fine, Spectre's not bad, and uh, No Time to Die is about an hour too long, at least. Yeah. Um, but I just found them very samey, the Daniel Craig ones after Casino Royale. It was very... It was all the same sort of stuff, really, because they were gra- trying to ground it a lot more realistically, and mm-hmm. and it it just meant that they couldn't sort of top themselves, I suppose, and it it made it a bit um, repetitive, I thought. And ex- exactly, and by that point, Daniel Craig was known as Bond, whereas before Casino Royale, he was doing. I mean, he'd done Layer Cake, but for the most part, he'd done some really quite beautiful British dramas, like indie mm. things. It wasn't widely well known, I don't think. I, don't, I think Lairkit was probably the biggest thing he'd done. What's maybe the, what's the one with the um, with the air uh, hot air balloon? Oh my god! Enduring Undone. love, enduring love, fucking brilliant film, amazing brilliant film. film. <laughs> yeah, such uh, what's a his good name? Film. Oh god, what's his name? Reese Fans is yeah. fantastic in that film. Fantastic, so good. I'm so glad that, that you <laughs> brought that up as well. I know it's, it's one of his best. Um, yeah. Casino Royale was probably helped along by the fact that I was a bit of a Craig fan and enjoyed films like that beforehand. Yeah. So it's good to to see him in that. You know, when you say the ending of that, you don't really like. Do you mean the final moments where he's like, where he takes the guy out and he's like Bond, James Bond, and it's like, oh, okay, here he is. Or do you mean no, the sort it was of like, it was the whole it was the whole Venice sort of right, collapsing right. thing, which was, but it didn't really, you know, you had the Lachie character who it, it was sort of dispatched fairly early on it's about once mm. since i've seen it but then it you know it, it was just it was more the fact that the, the finale didn't sort of involve him i suppose but then he's, yeah. he's not really that sort of character you know he was quite a a more grounded sort of villain really wasn't he you know he wasn't mm. unstoppable or um you know a big sort of massive physical threat to bond he was more of a, an intellectual threat yeah you're right although still the best villain i think from the sky from the um uh, Daniel Craig days. I mean, that, Mad, Mads Mikkelsen, he's just, he's just a great villain in whatever I think, really. You can't help but be on his side in a, way, in a weird way. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, okay, so then we're jumping quite, uh, quite far into the future here with episode 18, um, which uh, Nicole joined me for an episode we called Humble Pie, or films uh, that we avoided but ended up loving. Uh, so we talked uh, the Warriors, um, which was my choice, and uh, Nicole's choice of Chud. What about you? I've seen neither of them either, <laughs> so I have not seen uh, the Warriors, and I know that's a big blind spot. I have picked, like you, something which you would think everyone will have seen, and if you haven't seen it, you know all about it, or at least I thought I did until I watched it very, very recently, um, and. It was the, and the reason that I avoided it was simply because it is in pop culture. Everyone knows about it. Everyone knows the ending. Everyone talks about it. It's been spoofed. It's been remade and it's been remade, but I'd never seen the original. And it's uh, the original 60s Planet of the Apes with Charlton Oh, Hester. wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen it? Brilliant. Love the, love the Planet of the Apes. Brilliant. S- stunning. Yeah. So good and really goes to show you that even though you can know what's coming like i know the final moment yeah i am completely 
bought into the story and it's <laughs> and it's even more daunting knowing that that's coming as well <laughs> it didn't spoil anything it's like oh god this is earth what yeah. has mankind done and it's so well made for, that's 60 years old that oh, film it's incredible it's incredible if you've never seen it there's a documentary i had it with the dvd collection um called behind the planet of the apes and it does the whole it concentrates obviously on the original a lot more but it does the whole series and it's just fascinating i mean the later films are are pretty crap but i would encourage you to watch that because it's fascinating that's interesting do you think that the the because i know that they've made a, a couple of other films in that vein from the 60s i think like i can't remember what they're called but they i assume directly follow on are they worth my time as well the second one is um, Beneath the Planet of the Apes isn't too bad. They're all got interesting concepts, right. really interesting concepts, except maybe the last one, but I think that's Battle for the Planet of the Apes. But just the whole documentary and how those, those films got made and um, uh, you know the effects at the time and stuff. So, so the, the, the prosthetics were made by uh, John Chambers, who was, the, um, who was a war veteran who made, aesthetics for people who'd lost arms and eyes wow. and things like that and he's the guy who have you seen argo yeah so he is the guy who john goodman plays in argo oh bizarre wow so it's okay a, but it is really fascinating i mean you know i can't i'm not going to give much time to charlton heston because he's a terrible very, human being terrible human being exactly and you can see how sort of smoggy is in that in that documentary but it's just mm. fascinating it's really fascinating documentary do you know what pete that is also i think why i resisted planet of the apes because of heston yeah and we like, well how can i how how can i watch this man in the leading role knowing how repugnant he is but this is something we have to contend with day in day out now with uh various hollywood actors as well so yeah yeah the, the performance I grudgingly have to say is very good by him, but the whole film, yeah, wonderful. Hairs on the back of my neck as it approached that ending. God, yeah, oh, I could watch that again. I could watch that again right now. You know, I mean, it, you know, just the subtext of that film, you know, about things like, you know, obviously the politics and, you know, science and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's way ahead of its time. For, so ahead, so ahead of its time. They have like a character who is, uh, the, the minister for science and religion. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, brilliant. You're the minister for science and religion in one person. Great. Okay. But there are, you know, those, the sequels that, that sort of came after that in the original run, you know, they tackle a lot of things like slavery and, uh, you know, uh, racism and all sorts of different, different things. So they are they're okay. worth a look. They're worth a look. They're not great, you know, by any stretch, but they're, they're definitely worth a look. I will. I will. I will check them out. I need my Planet of the Apes fix now. <laughs> I tell you what, I watched the other day, and I completely forgot there's a there's a nod to Planet of the Apes, and it was uh, Spaceballs. Oh, I haven't seen it. Blind spot again. I will check it out for Rick Moranis. <laughs> Rick Moranis is owed a watch for oh, me on that. So love that film. Uh, okay, so moving on to episode twenty, in which Jamie Russell joined me again uh, for our second um, spin the wheel um, subject selector. Um, in which we were churned out uh, best seventies romance, um, and Jamie picked the Goodbye Girl from nineteen seventy seven, uh, and I picked Harold and Maud from nineteen seventy one. Pete, I haven't seen either. I've got Harold and Maud lined up to to watch it this weekend. Yes, um, it's been uh, a long time coming. But I will I absolutely love to know what you think of that film because I think myself and Jamie both 
absolutely gushed over that film. Brilliant. So I haven't listened to the episode for the, exactly that reason. I'm going to be watching it this weekend. I've heard countless good things about it for too long, so I am going to uh, watch it. I can't pretend that what I've picked is anything like either of those without having seen them. I know that it's not like either of those, and it might get a few raised eyebrows, but it was <laughs> this was very surprising to me when I finally watched it after a long period of having resisted it. Uh, the best 70s romance film. Are you ready for this, Pete? The best 70s romance film is Sylvester Stallone's Rocky. Wow, okay. Because that relationship between him and Adrian, even though it's become a bit of a cliche quote punchline with him going Adrian at the end, their relationship throughout that film is amazing. It's so like introverted and gentle and it slowly gets nurtured out and so sweet and believable and that carries on throughout the rest of the franchise as well their Mm. their marriage is like god this is this is really lovely and i was so not expecting that when i watched it (laughs) and when i did i thought god let's give stallone his credit he wrote that thing he wrote a really beautiful romance romantic story because he treats her with a lot of tenderness and gentleness but there is one scene which Paul, my co-host, has, has flagged. There is a, a scene which is is a little bit borderline where he's a little <laughs> bit forceful with her in the apartment. And I'm not going to be an apologist for things and whatnot, but I think that was more 70s filmmaking and it was yeah. presented more as a, this is a man who is trying to be passionate and show that he wants her as opposed to a, this is a man who is not going to let her escape kind of thing. <laughs> But I could see how it could be read that way. Yeah. But me and my wife both love that as well. And I'm not the only person. She also thinks that it's quite beautiful. And watching that with her together for the first time, it's like, wow, I was not expecting it in the Rocky film. And I take no? that relationship from it more than I do his rise as a fighter and all of that stuff. Fair enough. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, so then moving on to episode 21, which uh, Vanessa joined me for. Uh, best movie about addiction with her, her choice of Requiem for a Dream from 2000 uh, and my choice of Train Spotting from 1996. What to say you? Two incredible films. I agree with you that Train Spotting is uh, the, the better out of the two. Mine is one of my top 10 favourite films of all time. It's British. Uh, hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't, you must. It's called With Nail and I. I have, yes. I'm not a huge fan of Woodnail and I. Good Lord. Almost everyone <laughs> that I talk to isn't. It's, uh, <laughs> okay, that's fine. I won't try and convert you. I absolutely love it. I think it's very, very funny. But um, I didn't, reason... I, it wasn't a film, it wasn't like I hated it. It was just that it, it was just a fine film for me. It was, you know, I don't, it was more that I don't get the love for it that a lot of people have. I did. I watched it when I was like a film wanky film student as well, so it sort of played <laughs> into my hands yeah. at that point. But I just think that because I mean they're both alcoholics and drug addicts, yeah. And at the end of the film, one of them straightens up and flies right, and the other doesn't, and it's really tragic. He, he the Richard E. Grant character doesn't, and he gives that he gives this beautiful. Almost, I don't don't think it's Shakespeare. Maybe it is, but it gives this monologue 
to himself in the pouring rain in the park after his friend has left. And it's like, Jesus, man, you are, you are so talented. You could have had the world, but you, you've succumbed mm. to drink and drugs because that's, that's easier for you than being brave and putting yourself out there. Mm. But I, yeah. I won't try and convince you that it's a good film if it ain't well, for I you. I think it's, you know, I think like, I don't know, Requiem for a Dream, I've always felt that Requiem for a Dream, although it tackles the, the subject of addiction very well and it sort of, you know, it, it has a very a very gnarly sort of outlook on, on, on drugs and everything, which, it, it, you know, it quite rightly should. Yeah. But I always find that tra- films like Trainspotting and Withnail and I always put a much more realistic stance stance on 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 addiction Mm. and to me that's a lot more powerful because you see you know people just living their lives and 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 the you don't you know you don't see any good in requiem for a dream because obviously you know addicts at some point during their addictions that they're having highs they're having good time or you know they're 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 feeling it or whatever uh, however however you want to put it but yeah you know and train spotting and with their lie both sort of put that sort of edge on 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 the addiction i also think the addiction in both of those is very british it's presented mm. in a very british way in a way that yeah. even if you've never been if you've never taken a drink or taken a drug in your life you could almost relate to their their way of being when they're when they're in the grip of it yeah yeah okay but sorry, one thing that is interesting about With mm-hmm. Now and I is even cool. though it's a great film about addiction, <laughs> is that Richard E. Grant had never touched a drug or a drink in his life. <laughs> and then he played that performance. Wow, that is insane. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't look you wouldn't think that to look at him. I recently I watched him yes literally yesterday in Saltburn. Oh yeah. Very good performance, isn't it? By him. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just a great film, great film. It is a great film. Um, I'd be, I'm never going to be able to listen to Sophia Ellis-Bexter ever again. Certainly not. I, it was like, of flaying. <laughs> flailing, sorry. <laughs> I can only imagine how many takes they had to do of that. But if I was Barry Keown, I would not want to be flapping around for that long because... He was doing it for a fair old while, and there were no edits. No, well, I mean, he's, he's you know he's not got nothing to be ashamed about, has he? Um, I almost think that makes it worse for him, though, right? If you're well, flapping around with length, that could be quite painful after a while. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, if if that was me, I'd go on tour. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd you'd find a way to make some money out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> and hey, he has. <laughs> Uh, okay, so moving on to our, our last subject for you, uh, episode wow. 23, which was um, Tarquin uh, joined me for uh, Best Female Directed Horror, uh, with Tarquin's choice of Near Dark from 1987 and my choice of The Babadook from 2014. Babadook wins that out of the two. I really didn't like Near Dark. Uh, my choice is from 2019, 2020. Um, and it's called Relic. Ah, yes. You've seen this? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant film. Brilliant film. It snuck up on me. I was enjoying it. I was like, this is pretty good. And then as it went on, and again, I want to be careful here because I don't know, there may be people who haven't seen it, that there's a, a sort of 
revelation in the last 15, 20, 20 minutes, which is quite visceral, like quite grotesque horror on a primal level, but it kind of represents something else, doesn't it? And I mm -hmm. think emotionally, I mean, this ties into a question you asked earlier about emotions. Emotionally, for me, I I had experience of, well, we're talking about Alzheimer's and, and, yeah. and, and, and dementia, yeah, yeah. right? As as the theme that's in the film, anyway. Yeah, I think that's pretty much there from the start. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of is presented in this really quite brutal and shocking way at the end. And it's like, it's true. It is a monster. It's a, it's as much a monster as as many other things are uh, in life. We as assign the term monster to to people, but it should be assigned to things, experiences, Ooh. monstrous experiences. And and Alzheimer's and dementia is a, is a monstrous horrible fucking thing so yeah. to to essentially present that as your antagonist in a horror film mm -hmm. and put it into one of the characters an elderly character was both horrifying and also deeply deeply moving and i thought she really really got the balance right in that film of, mm -hmm. of making a, a scary film working on that primal level but also being so revealing about a condition um yeah. and and i i think I don't know, maybe people who haven't had experiences of, uh, but I think a lot of people have, haven't mm. had experiences or know people who, who've suffered with, with something like that. Maybe don't, maybe it doesn't resonate quite as much, but for me, I just thought it was so, so well handled. Yeah. I don't think it was offensive in any way. And clearly the filmmaker who unfortunately the name passes me by, I'm going to get her name <laughs> up in a second, but I feel like she must've had personal experience because it felt too real yeah. perfect balance of a of serious subject matter in a horror film mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I'd, I'd agree with that i must admit it didn't sort of pop up as a as a, a main sort of consideration for me um but it was a film i really thought was was really good it very effective as a you know, not just that sort of a sort of social piece, I suppose. Really, at, at yeah, its, at, at its base, but it was it was a really effective horror film as well. It was it was it was genuinely creepy, which it, you know exactly. And it's got to be able to work as on a base level as a horror film, even without all the subtext and themes. It's got yeah. to be scary, and it and it was Nat Natalie Erica James. That is yes. the director's name, yeah, Natalie yeah. Erica James. Yeah, um, and Emily Mortimer. Of course, is the uh, yeah the lead. She was, she was really she was really good in it. And I think well, I think you know. I mean, it's a three hander, really, isn't it? That film. Yeah, it and, is. And there were there were all really strong performances in that. Um, I so, think yeah, the, really. the shame of it is it came out in 2020 when all these films were just getting buried because they, they were being released when nobody could really go to the cinema. So yeah. I don't really know what what sort of theatrical release it would have got, especially in in, in in this country so maybe it didn't quite reach the audience that it, it might have but yeah check it out if you haven't seen it listeners go and check that one out yeah definitely definitely um although i would say it's not as good as the relic from 1996 tom sizemore mm -hmm. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant film. i did watch that last year <laughs> I, we'll disagree on that one but yeah no, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's a fine film that relic it is it's actually. of its time it's of its time Certainly, the CGI is of its time. Uh, <laughs> One of Quentin Tarantino's favourite films, apparently. Is it really? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I know. Oh well, I can put myself in the same uh, same boat as Quentin Tarantino. You can. Yeah. You can indeed. I don't know if, if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, uh, so that about wraps us up, Ben. Listen, thank you so much. So, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. The pleasure has genuinely been all mine. It's flown by already. I'm sad that we're at an end. (laughs) Uh, But just uh, quickly before we wrap things up, just tell people how they uh, can can listen to you on on Filbusters, where they can get in touch and, and how they can sort of take part. You can... Check out Film Busters by searching Film Busters Pods on all the usual socials. Um, we're particularly active on Twitter. Refuse to call it X, Twitter. Um, and if you want to listen in, listen in to something from the last couple of years, please don't go into our back catalogue because the early days are a little bit ropey. So uh, <laughs> we're much better now. So please listen to something from the last year or two. And uh, yeah, do leave us a comment if you've listened and let us know if you like, like what you hear. And definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, first of all, listen to the episodes that Jamie's been on. I think he's done yes. Aliens most recently. Most recently, Aliens. Burn without burn, burn, burn off the reading. reading, and he's done the vanishing Robocop and Robocop. Yeah, and vanishing. Yeah. Yes. So if you search those uh, titles, you'll be able to and see Misery. It. He's done five. Oh, Misery. Bloody Jesus, hell. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So well, I think if you just search. Jamie on the on the whatever podcast uh, platform you you look at and film busters then you'll find Jamie Russell's you will in, in, indeed and, and I uh, would thoroughly thoroughly recommend because Jamie recommended it to me and I totally agreed with him, your episode on Whiplash um, which I think is still sat at the top of your leaderboard is that right I think you may be right Paul is our stats man but I think you may be right it's either that or I think it might be Serbian film what Yes, I know. Quite okay. an, an appalling piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't, uh, you know, I mean, I've seen it and it's it's an interesting film for definitely. It and it's, you know, it's it's not for the faint hearted at all. But it ain't. I wouldn't put it at the top of any list. <laughs> no, no. It needs no. to exist in a, in a space, you know, some void in space and time. It's yeah. just a film that exists uh, and yeah. is interesting. Listen, it says more about the listeners than it does us that it's the most one of the most listened to episodes. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, so thank you very much, Ben. Um, it just uh, leaves me to say goodbye and for Ben to say. Monty, you terrible cunt. What do you do prowling around in the middle of the fucking night? <laughs> <laughs>